Welcome to the Broken Pie Chart Podcast, episode 228. I'm your host, Derek Moore, and with me this week is no one. Jay has the week off, the uh, my semi-permanent co-host, but there's a lot to talk about. And I do have something that Jay sent me that in his absence, I'm going to kind of explain for him. So one of the things that I've been, keep hearing, keep reading, is that interest rates have to go down for the market to go up. And I'm not saying the market's going to go up, it's going to go down, okay? But it's just this idea that the Fed is going to lower rates. And okay, they might raise one more time, might raise two more times, but they're they're going to have to lower rates. And I ask why? Why is that the predominant opinion? Barring a recession or a slowdown or something else maybe in, in the banks, it's clear the market by its action this year and going up can handle higher rates. Everyone said, you know, the, the market, we've had zero rates for many years and there's no way that markets can handle higher rates. They've handled them pretty good. Now, longer term rates, things like the five-year, the 10-year, those haven't, I mean, we're still inverted, meaning the short end of the curve is much higher than the, the further end of the curve. And I think I've mentioned this before, but the 10-year yield is more of, uh, it's a little bit of a proxy of nominal GDP growth. In other words, not adjusted for inflation, but just how much growth are you seeing over the preceding, I don't know, decade, something like that. But this idea that you have to have lower rates, I'm going to go back to the 1990s. And when I go back to the 1990s, what you see is that after the 1990 recession, so believe it or not, the Fed funds rate was over 8%. That's right. We're, you know, right now we're what? around five and a quarter, they're saying, you know, it might, may go up uh, another 25 basis points in the July meeting. That's the expectation. But just think about this. The Fed funds rate was over 8% going into the 1990 recession. The 1990 recession was pretty shallow by all accounts. Wasn't that big of a deal. It wasn't the Great Recession. It wasn't the you know, the drop-off that we had in, in 2020, February into March and April. Uh, in fact, if I go back and I say, okay, what was the what was the five-year treasury? I'm looking at right now. In April of 1990, it was over 9%. So the recession hits, the Fed starts to, to lower interest rates. They drop the Fed funds rate. By the end of the recession, they got it down a little bit above 6%. And even after the recession ended, and, you know, the recession ended kind of like February 1991. So this lasted, what do we say, June of 90 to February 91 is what the the official quotes, in air quotes, NBER said, the recession ran. So the Fed, after the recession ends, they continue to lower rates. In fact, the recession ends, you know, at least according to this, March of 91, and they continue to lower rates and they continue, 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 and they go all the way down, uh, you know, just a little bit, a hair over 3% by November of 92. 
And, you know, the markets, they were up off the recession. They, they were sort of up slightly sideways. I mean, a little, little bit up. And then, of course, the 1994 period where Greenspan and, and the Federal Reserve Board surprised markets by all of a sudden, essentially, I'm, I'm paraphrasing here, we're going to raise for no other reason than to show that we can raise. But 1994 was the market was flat. Earnings actually grew around 30%. And they jacked rates up back over 6% by, you know, April, May of uh, 1995. From the end of 94, though, you know, basically the very end of November, early December, that was the uh, the intermediate bottom in the 1994 cycle, the market takes off. And it kept going and going and going until you get to March of 2000. But what's really interesting about this time, and I keep going back to 94, 95, because there's so many similarities between what we saw in 2022 and what we're seeing in 2023. And that's interest rates stayed high. They didn't need to lower rates. And so, yeah, I mean, they lowered them a little bit. They were above 6%, but rates never dropped lower than 5%. In fact, they didn't drop till uh, lower than 5% until the 1998, the, the Asian contagion. Uh, that's where you had some of the emerging markets. Currencies, Russia devalues the ruble, and there was some turmoil in the markets. The Fed actually dropped interest rates during that time. But, you know, you look at, they were above 5% until, you know, latter part of 1998. So I bring this up because a lot of people have said, oh, you know, they're going to raise one or two more times and then they're going to start to to lower rates. Now, I don't know what they're going to do. In fact, the Fed doesn't know what they're going to do. We know this because if you look back at their dot plots, their own predictions of what interest rates will be in the future, they're not really reliable. In fact, I mentioned this before, James Bullard at one meeting, there was no dot for him because he said, you know what, I'm, I'm not really sure we're adding any value here. We're not very good at picking long-term changes in interest rates or some of the other things. But the point of all this too is that the markets can go up with higher rates. And I think what the market doesn't like it doesn't like uncertainty. And, it, you know, once we get to the end of this Fed tightening cycle, whenever that is, we could just have the Fed just sit around for a while. We could have rates above 5% for a while. Like, why would, they, why would they drop rates? Why would Powell and company all of a sudden drop rates? Especially when you see things like the ADP jobs report, which was a, a gangbuster report. Uh, not as good the uh, the non-farm payroll report. Those are two different reports. Um, I could go into why ADP and, and the non-farm payroll is a little bit different. Uh, they're both sample. Um, ADP might be dealing with larger companies where NFP might pick up small businesses. But you look at this stuff and you say, why would they lower? Why would they lower? They They always talked about needing to get off zero rates. At least that's what they said. And now they've done it. 
And apparently the market is a little bit more okay with higher rates than anybody thought. Now, higher rates for a lot of people, getting more money in savings accounts, the ability to buy short-term treasuries with little or no interest rate risk. There's a lot of positives for higher rates. I mean, everyone had to take a lot more risk to get even a little bit of yield. And you're getting today in a three-month treasury what you would have gotten in a high-yield bond back in 2017. Now, something does have to give with the inverted yield curve and just where long rates are, where short rates are. And one of the things that I do monitor a little bit is the spread between the 30-year mortgage, so that's a 30-year mortgage rate, and the 10-year treasury yield. And these two tend to move some correlation there. And if I go back to, let's say, 1971, and I look at the average spread between the two, meaning what's the 30-year mortgage minus what's the yield on the 10-year treasury bond, on average, it's about 1.73%, or 173 basis points, okay? Well, it's been... It's not trading. I shouldn't say that. But when I chart it, it's getting a little bit frothy. In fact, uh, the difference recently was over 3% or 300 basis points. And that's about a two and a half standard deviation difference between the average. So that that's a pretty out of range. Now, here's the thing. Does that mean that the 10-year treasury has to go up? Possibly. Does that mean the mortgage rates are too high and they have to come down? Possibly as well. When you have a, a ratio here, a relationship, I would say that one or the other should do something. And if the economy, if the perception is the economy is going to be just fine, we're not going to have a recession, we uninvert the yield curve, the Fed keeps rates marginally where they are now, you could make an argument that 10-year and the 5-year and you know going out to 30 years, they should be they should be higher. Now, if you think that we're going to stay in inverted, maybe the economy is going to grow, but it's going to be soft, or we'll go into a recession. Yeah, I mean, that that's one of the reasons why you see longer rates lower than longer rates. It's the idea that the perception is not having growth. But interest rates are good in some ways, but obviously it's kind of locked up the housing market. And a lot of people have really low mortgages. They're apt not to sell. It keeps supply off the market. And, you know, I, I don't want to get into talking about housing necessarily on this, this episode. But keep an eye on this uh, because mortgage rates, I think I saw the other day, and, and I, uh, I haven't updated this, uh, they, they went over 7%, which has any number of interesting aspects to it. The other thing I want to talk about this week is the Commitment of Traders report. Oh boy, what's that? Well, Commitment of Traders looks at agricultural markets, things like orange juice, soybeans, livestock, cotton, you know, uh, sugar, any of this stuff. And what they do is there's commercials. So if you're a, a sugar producer and sugar prices are really high for next November, you say, great, I'm going to have a bunch of sugar ready to ship 
and sell in November, I want to lock in that price now. I might sell November futures and then deliver the actual commodity. And so there, there's, uh, and there's also, you know, let's say you had an airline and they wanted to, to lock in lower fuel prices. They might be buying those and take delivery of something like that. Okay. I suppose if you're, I don't know, I was going to make a, a joke. Like if you owned a, an orange juice store where all you did was took the, the oranges and put them through a juicer and, you know, maybe if orange prices are really low, I don't know how many, anyway, you could you could say okay in the future I'm going to need orange juices I want to buy the the future going out six months and yeah good now I know and I have my oranges coming in and I'm I'm locking in a price but you also can look at financial futures and financial futures are things like the the bond futures two year bonds ten year bonds you can look at the dollar the currencies. Uh, but also financial indexes, indexes like the NASDAQ 100, the S&P 500, the E-minis, the futures contracts that trade. And uh, Jay had passed me this, this article in, uh, in Bloomberg. And we know that the markets, especially towards the very end of June, really had a, a surge forward. And the essence of the, the Bloomberg article was saying that maybe – a lot of this rally was a short squeeze or, or bears unwinding their bets. So, so what's a short squeeze? A short squeeze is basically when you have a lot of people who are betting against something. And you might remember the, the GameStop, I don't know if it's fiasco, but that situation where you had people who are short. So, you know, whatever it is, people are short a, a stock, a commodity, an index, and if the price starts going up, meaning when you're short, you want to sell it first and buy it back cheaper, and that's how you make your money, as opposed to being long where you buy something you hope to sell it higher. So when people are short, though, they have unlimited loss. Sometimes they're leveraged. And if price starts to go against them, they're either forced to or they just want to cut their losses and they buy to close their short positions. And so in a short squeeze, what you have is not only do you have people, let's say, buying the market or buying whatever asset it is, pushing prices higher. I always make the joke and some people don't like it, but when markets are going up for no other reason, you say, well, there's more buyers than sellers. When they're going down, there's more sellers than buyers. But the short squeeze, not, not only do you have the buyers, but then you have the people who need to close their shorts. So you add this squeeze that's more buying. And Bloomberg had a chart. It's uh, it's from the Commitment of Traders, and this is the E Mini S and P Net Non Commercial Futures Positions. And they made the point that large speculators cut, and by cut they mean close them out, short positions in the S and P at the fastest pace in three years. Three years going back to the very depths of the 2020 lows. And so they make the point that. Maybe this run in the market has been uh, fueled a lot by not only buying, but also uh, short squeezes and people covering and, and reducing their net short positions. Now, they're still net short. They're just not as net short. 
meaning they, they closed some of the positions out. And there's a couple different reports. There's the Commitment of Trades report, and then there's also more of a, a financial uh, specific futures report, which breaks things down into leverage funds and uh, dealers. And, and that one looks a little bit different, but I think some of the leverage funds, and they would say that that's hedge funds, they were also net short as well. And I think the gist of the article, and look, I mean, we buy, we had, you know what we do. We buy, we hedge. We don't try and pick directions of markets. If you want to learn more about that, uh, shoot me an email, derek.more at zegafinancial.com. Zega is Z as in zebra, E as in Eddie, G as in George, A as in Apple. Financial's up to you to spell correctly. But, you know, the the idea of this, it's a little bit of a contrarian thing. And when things get really short, maybe the, the speculators are wrong. And when they're overly long, maybe they're wrong there and they're too bullish. But the point they want to make is maybe this quote unquote fire, you know, that's uh, pushing markets higher, it's losing some of the kindling underneath because people are closing out the shorts they're not as net short, and when you don't have as many net shorts, a short squeeze isn't as valuable to the longs. But, you know, we'll see what happens. We're also going to get into earnings here. And I think it's so funny. I mean, every time you go into an earnings season, you look and you say, yeah, this is the most important earnings season, or this is, the, this is really the one that matters until the next one. You know, one of the things, though, I think is important to remember is when you look at 2021's S&P 500 earnings, it's $208.53 a share. So you, the way these get reported is you say everything that's in the S&P, you, you aggregate all the earnings together, how many shares are there, and you boil it to sort of a, a, a per share like you would a stock. So it's an easy way of saying it. Remember, the market was down in 2022, but earnings went up. They went from 208.53 to 218.09. And you're saying, well, why did, why did the markets go down then? More sellers than buyers. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. Maybe. I mean, in essence, that's what you need for markets to go down. For markets to go up, you need more buyers than sellers. But as I said before, it's really the multiple that change. It's how many times earnings are people willing to pay? And all of the declines in 2022 were not because earnings went down. They are a result of people not being willing to pay as much for current or future earnings. Now, 2023, earnings are expected, estimated, we won't know the full 2023 picture until really uh, in, in 2024 is when Q4 gets reported. We'll start to see those January, February, March. But it's forecasted to go up very little. The consensus estimate as of a few days ago was $219.70, so to that, uh, $219.70, 2022. $218.09 actual earnings. So earnings have never dropped on a full year basis from, 
you know, besides 2022. And you look at 2018 to 2019, you might say, well, maybe it was because they're only going up a dollar or they only went up a little bit. 2018 was uh, $161.93. 2019, 2019 was $162.97. So this was really all a multiple situation, a multiple meaning how many times earnings are you willing to pay? And, you know, all else equal, let's say if you're, if your earnings are, we'll use the, we'll round up to 220. So let's say at 220, if you're willing to pay 16 times that, the market's 3,520. If you're willing to pay 20 times that, the market's 4,400. Now, the market's already trading on future expectations. And we know that the estimates, let's say, for 2024 are more robust. 245.73 is the consensus estimate right now. So at 15 times forward, that's about 36.80. At 20 times forward, well, that's a, a different story. That's 49.14. Now, I don't know where markets are going. But I point this out because I know that a lot of people have been very, very bearish on financial media and CNBC. But I, I think it's just a good point to remember that earnings didn't collapse. They collapsed in 2020. They went from 162.97 to 139.76. That's a collapse. Well, I mean, it, they were down 14% year over year. Maybe it's not a collapse, okay? So anyway, as you're, as you're going into this earnings season, I think there's, there's a couple things to, to look at. Now, last quarter, which was Q1, right? So January, February, March is Q1. Those came out April, May, June. And now we're going to have the Q2 earnings, now, Q1, you might remember, was forecasted to be down anywhere from 4 to 5%. The actual earnings are going to be slightly, slightly positive, like just above flat, maybe 0.1% when all, all is said and done with every company. 2000, uh, the, the Q2, which we're going to start getting now, they're forecasted to be down on the S&P 500, 6.4%. Now, when I say 6.4%, that's down 6.4% compared to Q2 of last year of 2022. And then as you go throughout, you know, the next part of the year, uh, only estimated to grow year over year 1.1% in Q3. And then you start to get better, up 9.3% plus 8.4% plus 13.2% for 2023 Q4, 24Q1, 24Q2. All right. I'm going to stop throwing numbers at you. Remember, these are just estimates, though. And we just we don't know where they're going to come in. A lot of earnings have been reduced. And when you get earnings reduced, more often than not, you get beats because they've been reduced so much. But they might be beating a lower number. And, you know, when you look at stuff like this, uh, I always say, you know, bring it back to earnings because if earnings are good, then it's just a question of how many times people want to pay for those earnings. But if earnings go down, 
that's another story. I also find it, um, I mean, this, this was the most anticipated recession and so far we don't have one, or maybe we're in one and it's just a mild recession. I still think that could be on, on the table, but we'll see. We'll see what happens and I'll let you know when I, when I know. All right. So we'll probably have Jay back on next week. We'll, we'll, uh, we'll go back and forth on some stuff. I did have a recommendation though. There's it's, it's available for rent now. It's a movie called to catch a killer. Uh, Shalane Woodley, Ben Mendelsohn, uh, a couple people you recognize in there. I thought it was really good. And the premise is there's someone, I mean, hence the title, what it is. Uh, they gotta, they gotta catch somebody. And it's, I think it's a suspense. It's got some surprises in it, but I, I enjoyed it. It's not too long. I think it's just under two hours. So to catch a killer, it's uh, you can rent it now. And that's my recommendation this week. I have yet to start watching the second season of The Bear, uh, but Jay would probably say that uh, that is a good one as well. And if you haven't seen the first season, I have watched that. I thought it was great. I thought The Bear was great, uh, but it's on my list to... Uh, to start. So, all right, everyone, we'll leave it there. And by all means, send me emails, send us emails. We'd like to hear from you ideas for topics to cover. Uh, These topics I talked about today were some suggestions. There were some questions I got, and I always note down the questions and we try and cover them on the show. So with that, we'll see you next week.